You are joining Talking Neoteric, a podcast that advocates for and shares new ideas, ways of thinking and doing about who we are, what we do and where we do it. Talking Neoteric spotlights creative practitioners, sharing their work and practices, each demonstrating their reach far beyond the arts with contributions to the broader health, livability and prosperity of regional Queensland. I have travelled up the foothills, up the escarpment. I'm on Gabinal and Jarrawa country, the regional city of Toowoomba. Interestingly, I have a very long history here. Actually, generations of my family have lived in and around the region for decades. My family was and still is connected to this country. So, you know, when I was in my formative years and considering what university I might enrol for my Bachelor of Visual Arts, UniSQ was a natural choice. It was then, in the early 2000s, that I first met artist Simon Mee. And today, it's Simon, on this occasion, who's brought me back to the Darling Downs. Simon, it's been some years. I know, and who'd have thunk it? Though? I don't know. Back from those art class days, I think it's about 20 years. And so today, we're in your home and studio, and walking in here, I have feelings of seeing much of this before. We have objects around us that, what, a 90s child? Yes, absolutely. 90s, you know, 90s Brisbane for when Bris Vegas was still set ironically, um, not as a badge when we, you know, the steamy, trashy city. And, you, and a lot of this, when you look around, you've got, you know, the, there's a, my collection of nightlights, which I was inherited from a, a friend in Brisbane, and, and they've just been added to over the years. And, um, and also my range of trash and treasure objects from um, behind you've got bananas and pajamas, which was knitted by my grandmother, but she was when she was at an age when her mind had gone. So she just kept on knitting the same bananas and pajamas over and over, again. and she kept giving them to everyone. And then everyone, you know, so that everyone had about everyone in the family had ten or fifteen, and they it was un, it was it was, it was quite funny in its own way. But it's, and I kept one because it's um, it, you know it's part of that mental shift. They started becoming a little wonkier as she started getting going on and um, so it was you know sweet but at the same time kind of sad. And so the bringing together these objects you know notionally a collection how did it happen? Is it in your family? Is it your grandma? The toys is right goes that goes right back to art school days. Um, like I did some really bad painting. Everyone goes to art school and you should expect to go to art school and you should definitely do some really bad painting. And I did a little bit of my share of really bad paintings. And I even used to say this to students, like, you know, I said, oh, look, you're a better painter at this point in time than I was when I went through art school. Um, and, you know, it, it's very much that case. That, and so at a certain point I went, oh, right, I'm going back to, we'll talk about this later, first positions. And I went, went back and I was looking at still life and I was looking at kind of objects and histories and, cactuses and but I kind of got drawn into looking at toys especially toys and objects I found in op shops and I was living in West End at that time and you have lots of these just objects that are just kind of like 
he picked them up and they, they kind of ha they kind of resonate a history and so they started developing from that point it became a point of study and reflection and then they kind of like I use a lot of those um, land before time and then because at that stage I was a student I didn't have doing my own TV, I hadn't even seen Land Before I had a whole generation of people going, Land Before Time, and I'm going, I haven't seen this. You know, this is kind of like, I, I haven't watched TV in a year. You know, I didn't have access to it, but I was um, watching anime and all these other things. So, and so they became these objects and they just started acquiring life and um, developing these kinds of narratives around them. And um, it was it became a way for me to access um, personal history and, and also dealing with my you know, passions to do with historical painting, because I'm, I'm a sucker for um, Goya and, and Fragonard and Boucher I, I, and Car Caravaggio. I, I can't stop it. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of, no one can beat it out of me. Um, again, come back from my grandmother, I can still remember um, one of the old, you know, one of those things that you go into every house, you know, when you used to, when you were a kid, everyone has an old faded print. And, and it's usually no longer the color it originally was, you know, Typically, you have a streeton, but one of the ones my grandmother had was um, uh, well, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's um, St. John the Baptist, you know, kind of hole into the drawing one, and then it's all faded out. But, you know, I used to love that one, and there was a Lloyd Reese, but they're all very faded. So, you know, I guess, and that's you kind of go, you come back to first loves, and um, some of those things just don't stop with you. I think one of the books. I used to read a lot in the 90s was A.S. Byatt's Possession and it, that's a book that talks a lot about first loves in artistically as being really important and they talk about it in terms of poetry that you can go on this long academic trajectory and come back and it's always about really what your first loves were and why and how you still respond to them because those are the things that are really deeply ingrained within you. And I guess all these influences that you've just spoken about from collecting elements um, to influences of your grandmother to societal changes and, and fashions, they all come into play in your work, whether consciously or subconsciously. Whether I like it or not, yeah, it's very much, you, you, yes. I mean, I think what you're referring to is um, when I started painting the dolls and I was really thankful for doing that um, series called The Suburban Suite. And that's grew out of those studies of dolls and porcelain dolls and they kind of developed a, uh, they developed a kind of narrative and I needed to situate that into kind of like the contemporary society so you get those kind of incongruous elements are heightened and pushed but um, it wasn't until I did an artist talk and, and um, a bright young spark um, said oh you know why is why is the left shoe missing in so many paintings and I, I and it's when I it and I, I didn't have a good answer at that point in time. It took me many years and really over until many years of therapy until I kind of be able to sit back and say, well, actually that was to do with a point of trauma from when I was just at the beginning of my second year at university and I was traveling with my father and he died. And this was in India. So when someone, when you're traveling on a train in India and someone dies, you know, stuck in the middle of nowhere and, um, and, you know, the image of him being carried from the train with a whole, you know, the local people saying, you know, you know, they're there, kind of the equivalent of they're there, don't, you know, being compassionate. But, you know, all I could see, you're fixating on is the image of your father being carried off the train on a stretcher, covered in a blanket, but then a foot exposed or a hand exposed. And I hadn't realised how 
um, entrenched an image that had become until I kind of sat down and went, well, where did that come from? Um, and, and that's where, and this is where, you know, for me, artistically, there's, we talked about humility, for example, um, dealing with that sense of we're all haunted and um, recognising that. And history has a massive role in your practice. So from, yeah, I guess the, the social historic context, but then also an art history context as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... And there's works in there, early works, and looking at people like Goya. Um, you know, I've still got a, a book out the back, given that my background's very religious. Um, and I spent a lot of time in church looking at the pictures. And, you know, as many people, you look through the more salacious bits of the Old Testament. So history and all those kinds of things are really important to me because I spent a lot of time looking at that. And, again, very much intrinsic to a form of who I am and part of my language um, in terms of like where I am in terms of religion now. You know, I'd say I'm mostly an atheist, which probably counts as slightly, you know. But it, it's one of those things you kind of have a discussion about, but I still can't stop that the language, visual language, and some of my literal language is still heavily informed by all those things. And it's, it's you know, I can... It's just what it is. And I have to gain the humility to accept that and kind of try to work with it. But also then not just to kind of treat it in that kind of, um, what do you call that, Rea a reactionary way. There's a, I guess there's a, two ways you can deal with everything. And in terms of what, one way, in terms of when I say reactionary, I mean in the sense that you can say, well, things used to be better in the past. Well, I want things to be back in the past, like the way I somehow imagine them imagined them to be which is some kind of like a fantasy of an ideal past in which they're usually more empowered and or you can start take it on board and kind of pick it apart and say well clearly that part of our tradition um is not as we thought i mean classic example of that i mean i talk about toowoomba but i grew up in tasmania and a lot of my family um date back to those kind of first invaders who came in and um and a long time it was talked about and saying oh well well we didn't our family didn't participate in that and you're kind of going well how much of participate not participate when you're dealing with you know and at that time like when um you know ultimate great-grandfather for example and um alice leith um was there you know the population the white population, um, you know, was in the thousands. Um, and, you know, they were... So to take on those areas and, you know, for example, where an area of, similar to here, to make a farm, they had to take away the, the kangaroo grazing grounds from the local peoples, the local palawa. And so you kind of, whether you like it or not, um, you know, we, we were part of that story. But growing up in Tasmania, when I was my generation, we were told that, you know, the Tasmanian Indigenous people um, were extinct, which, which wasn't true. And um, that, you know, that was old history and it, was, it happened kind of naturally. They just died out. And, and you just think, and when you, so when, you look, when I look back at that now, and you kind of say, well, there's an obvious break there. 
that we need to recognise um, and deal with. I mean, I think the Germans do it brilliantly sometimes because they've got their own immediate trauma through things um, to do with the Jewish Holocaust. Um, but they have the Manmal, which is the um, sites for remembering. And they're not, they're not monuments in the sense that they are trying to kind of entomb their regret. Um, they're, they're moments and places to kind of be actively engaged with and to remember, um, which is really much more to the point. And as an artist, you know, moving forward, oh, there's so much, you know, I try not to do these things obviously in my artwork because that's just guess who I am. But I think as an artist, you're trying to, people to actively engage with things, not, not retreat. Uh, I know we're kind of talking about the reactionary. The, the reactionary thing is to try to retreat into a safe little shell and try to say, this is the way it should be and drawing neat little boundaries around things and saying, well, that was past and this is future. And you're saying, well, unfortunately, I don't believe that's the case. I think, you know, unfortunately, life, history, psychoses and people are messy. Um, we're not, none of us are perfect. And, um, you know, there's always that kind of classic thing of great, great movies where the good guys aren't always good and the bad guys aren't always bad. That's what makes it really hard. And so how do these layers, I guess, manifest as a narrative for you? So if you bring together these objects that influence you that have come through collections and then these layers of history, be they art history or, or social history, how does that come through then as a narrative? What are you saying in these works of yours? I don't usually try to create... Um, a full story, I, what I, you know, in the past and, and I still tend to do is create a moment. Um, it's like that, how would you put it in, in a crux moment, you know, that moment in which, you know, we all would go back and if I had done the, the sliding doors, the classic sliding doors thing, you know, three, where you say, well, if I had just walked out that door in that moment. But what I like with the artworks is to try to create a kind of like a crux moment. I mean, there's a sense of potentiality of, of what's happened and what might happen and what's led up to that point and what might come from that point. Um, so in that sense, it, it's trying to create um, a, a narrative-rich moment and so people can kind of launch off. And that's where the artworks, the psychology of it becomes important because then it becomes, I kind of call it, it has that Rorschach bloss, block test element um, and you, you were asking before about um, you know, how do people react to things sometimes they react well sometimes react badly um, I remember vividly someone because I had one of the early works I did was Blinky the Axe Hero which was a kind of like you know Blinky atop a dismembered group of um, dolls with a double-bladed axe and I had someone say well that's a, that's the double-bladed axe that's a lesbian symbol you did you, you obviously put that in there deliberately and I said oh I'd like to say I did, but I didn't. Um, it was just I read lots and lots of those Conan the Barbarians and over-the-top butch manifestations of macho kind of Australian kind of culture, and I just, it seemed right to do. So that's the example of the Rorschach block test. You know, people will, if you load it and kind of make it personal and interesting and meaningful, because that's the thing, it, it doesn't won't be meaningful for other people if it's not, if it doesn't hit you as myself as an artist. Um, people will then take it, and you know there is they always that chance that will people will will willfully misconstrue something and say, um, especially given times changing, that you have to deal with that sense of 
um, you put it out there, people will come up with a reaction. Um, and that, that, in the end, you have to accept that um, as an artist or as a writer, as a comedian or anything like that, that what you do can be taken and used out of context or misunderstood. It's just, you know, and the thing is too, is as I said, I'm getting older. I look back at some works and you think, mm -hmm, you know, I'm not as, wouldn't go there, you know, angels go, I wouldn't go there now, for example, on certain topics. But at the time, you know, I was younger and, you know, probably a little less cautious on certain, certain areas and it wouldn't, you know, but now I just, but what I do, this, things change. As I said, I'm on to my second act now and I hope I have it enough left in me to kind of do some good stuff. So what is your, what is your second act? Where, what are we up to now? As I said, I've really been reflecting a lot. I mean, I've gone, um, we talked about, again, back to first positions. I've had to really kind of reground myself on what are the things that I really love about art and what I like it to do. I like it to mean something. I like it to, I like the power of, um, you know, the Goyas. And, and, um, but I also love the kind of the, the intense delight that you get from um, saying the Bouchers and the Fragonards. And I, and I just love, for me as, an, as a person not, and as an artist, those are the things that just kind of really redraw me back in. And so accepting that and just saying, well, that's, that's always part of what I want and bringing that into it. And then also trying to identify what it is that I'm interested in and saying now, you know, it's changed now. I'm, um, you know, lots of things that seemed important to me aren't, but then some things I'm still just as passionate about. And, um, and you don't want to be obvious about them as well. And, or you don't want to copy somebody else. So when I think about things at the moment, I, I'm thinking a lot about um, the role of the grotesque um, what ugliness is. Um, I noticed that recently there's a debate about taking the word ugly out of um, books and texts. But being someone who kind of grew up being regarded, I always saw myself as ugly and I was kind of, you know, being called big nose and all those kinds of stuff. And you're kind of going, well, it's, that really shaped who I am. So dealing with that um, and dealing what is what is desirable and not desirable still runs through my work um, and how that can be interpreted. And I think that's still there, but it also comes down to that co really complex part of art at the moment, which is you're dealing with what is saleable, not saleable, what is commercial, acceptable. Um, and so those things don't change. I think there's always that challenge for people, but for me, it's very much like, well, what am I bringing to this now? Am I saying something different? Um, you know, and sometimes I'm just purely self-indulgent, I have to say. I just play out my kind of joys of certain types of imagery and toys. I think I'm a lot more self-indulgent probably now in that respect, you know. So I don't know if everything will be as serious, but because humour has kind of, kind of reappearing a lot more. And, um, you know... I'd hope that they kind of hit the chord still. I hope there's a, another act there, but that's very much where it's at. I'm sure there is. And we have only just scratched the surface and catching up on decades of conversation. But thank you for, for yeah, unpacking all of that um, today, Simon. It's been great 
to catch up. Thank you for joining Talking Neoteric, a podcast that shares new ways of thinking and doing through the lens of visual artists and arts workers. Listen in next episode to see where Talking Neoteric is in Queensland and who joins the conversation. Talking Neoteric is curated by Bianca Simovic with production by Ashley Salter. This project was made possible through the Australian Government's Regional Arts Fund, funding through the Regional Arts Australia administered by Flying Arts Alliance.